Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, Dr. Smith will be speaking to Dr. Bazina Robel about her article, Sinus Irrigation Penetration After Balloon Sinoplasty versus Functional ESS in a Cadaveric Model. This episode of Scope It Out is made possible by support from Fiagon ENT Navigation. The new Fiagon Cube 4D provides easy-to-use navigation in a compact yet highly robust system. A new groundbreaking feature includes a touchless registration technique that utilizes point cloud technology to capture the entire surface of the patient's face during the registration process. With one click of a button, you can achieve superior registration accuracy all in under 20 seconds. Please visit Fiagon at AAO booth 1649 to find out more about the new Cube 4D system and the latest groundbreaking navigation technology from Fiagon. Hello and welcome to Scope It Out, the podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Smith, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Bozina Robel from Los Angeles, California. We'll be discussing her article, which is currently available online and is entitled Sinus Irrigation Penetration After Balloon Sinuplasty Versus Functional Endoscopic Sinus Surgery in a cadaveric model. Bozina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dr. Smith. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here and to have our article discussed. Oh, that's very kind of you. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast for sure. I found your article interesting because the results were really not what I anticipated they would be. And I guess I didn't find the results to be all that intuitive. In fact, if I would have formulated a hypothesis, at least for the frontal sinus and what happens with regard to irrigation of the frontal sinus after either balloon dilation or after a more standard endoscopic approach, I would have thought, well, very clearly the standard endoscopic approach creates more room likely in most cases, and therefore you would see more of the irrigant reach the frontal sinus in particular in those cases. But you actually found results that are contrary to that intuition that I might have had. So I wanted a chance to talk to you about the results and see if we can help put these results into some perspective for practicing rhinologists. So why don't you start out by telling us about your rationale for the study? Well, as we know, the sinus irrigations are sort of the cornerstone at these days of treatment of patients with chronic sinusitis. And we have many great cadaver studies which are showing that the penetration of the sinuses is possible after the sinus surgery. And uh, even the studies which are showing the different grades of an advancement of the sinus surgery, how this improves the penetration into specific sinuses, and especially the comparison of draft 2A and uh, draft 3 procedure on the penetration to the frontal sinus. But the role of the the study or maybe the hypothesis what we have was not necessarily to check the degree of the surgery influence nor the position of the cadaver, but to compare the two techniques overall, balloon sinoplasty, which is right now widely used among the otolaryngologists as a tool for endoscopic surgery, 
mm-hmm. or just compare it with the actual functional endoscopic sinus surgery. What is the difference in ability to reach the frontal sinus irrigation? What was your hypothesis in that regard? Well, we did not necessarily have hypothesis. We just wanted to, so we were not biased. Yeah. If any, then we actually were, since we're not really in uh, my institution, we deal with extremely advanced disease, and perhaps we don't have the right candidates for the balloncinoplasty, so we do not do this procedure very routinely. In reality, we do this actually extremely rare. So we were we approached this study with curiosity, yeah. not really with any assumptions. Yeah. Uh, and if any, then we we had maybe perhaps similar to your hypothesis that sinus surgery with dissection, precise dissection in the frontal recess done by the rhinologist mm-hmm. uh, has a better way to achieve the frontal sinus drainage or outflow and uh, ability for the sinus irrigations to reach the frontal sinus. So and you, it, made, you made reference to a prior study that demonstrated increased penetration in a draft three procedure or a modified low-throat procedure relative to a draft 2A or, or 2B. I forget what study yes, comparison was that made there. Was, yes, that was the study done by the Sydney group, by, by yeah. Richard Harvey group, and right. uh, published in IFAR in 2016. Right. And what they showed that uh, the penetration of the frontal sinus uh, after draft three is actually provides like n- ability to reach the frontal sinus and uh, irrigate effectively in 91% versus draft to a f- around 50%. Right. Uh, so based so, on that, I would have formulated a hypothesis relative to your study where you're comparing a draft 2A to a balloon dilation. I would have thought that the draft 2A would provide superior ability to allow irrigant to reach the frontal sinus in particular. Not an unreasonable hypothesis based on the preliminary data, if we consider their study the preliminary data. Yes, but then also, you know, if you sort of think about this, what exactly Balloon does, especially on the cadaver, because I think yeah. in the in the... In the patient, uh, we have a lot of other variables. We have yeah. mucosal disease. We have ability for the tissue to be to the ability for the bony structures which are displaced by the balloon, perhaps being pushed back or scarred up. With cadaver, we don't deal with those extra issues. We're just dealing with strictly mechanical opening. Yep. So if we do complete dissection in the frontal recess versus we do balloon where actually we displacing the structure, we're crushing the structures, but we are pushing them to the sides. Mm-hmm. And if the balloon is also effectively placed, perhaps we are getting a similar opening but in when you term, looked in terms of a physical structures and the yeah, physical the, diameter 
did you look endoscopically and make any type of assessment or measurement of the opening that was created by each technique, or was that not a part of your, your study design that at all? That was not a part of the study. I wish, I mean, that's probably something which is important to progress in the future studies. Yeah, because it's if difficult you in, to measure, though, you know? I mean, when you look up there, you can, you can develop a qualitative, you know, having... It's interesting. I'll back up a little bit. These studies are done on cadavers. Uh, I've done one of these studies looking at balloons and what impact they had on the anatomy and published it many years ago. And I bet you, you and I came under the same circumstances where we designed these studies, and that is we academicians find ourselves in cadaver labs at least once a year where we're training residents and sometimes fellows and sometimes practicing otolaryngologists on sinus surgery techniques. So here we find ourselves, you know, in a room with eight or ten or more cadaver heads and we're thinking to ourselves, okay, besides learning surgical technique, what else can we accomplish today? And that's where a lot of times these study designs occur. Is that is that a fair assessment of likely the way this occurred in your case? That is exactly what occurred in our case. This was during the residence course, yeah. and we just decided why not to do a little bit of an irrigation and check yeah. the comparisons. Nobody before compared those two techniques. Why not to compare them for the purposes of irrigation? Although this definitely slowed down the course because it was tremendous yeah. amount of irrigations. Yeah. <laughs> but so uh, why, yeah, why don't you explain to the read or to the listeners how you went about measuring? Let's focus on the frontal sinus because that, that those are probably the most interesting findings in the study. How did you measure? how much irrigant reached the frontal sinus in these two groups, one group undergoing balloon dilation, the second group undergoing a more traditional endoscopic draft to a frontal sinusotomy. So we use, there are different different scoring or scale systems available. Mm-hmm. And if you look, for example, at the scoring, which was, used by the Sydney group uh, in their study. They look more into distribution because they only they focus specifically on the frontal sinus. Right. So they look very specifically on the distribution into lateral aspects of the, of the frontal sinus, into medial aspect of the frontal sinus, the, only the entry to the, to the frontal recess. We use different scale. We use scale which was used on other previously published cadaver studies looking into distribution into other sinuses also. Yeah. Yeah. So the scale was the score was pretty much the zero meant that there was absent no dye present because we used the fluorescent dye into the saline, mixed with mm-hmm. the saline, and we look at the residual. So the cadaver was flush with the irrigation in the 45-degree position. So the usual classic sort of position what patients are using over the sink with the head okay. down. And uh, we use the standard uh, volume irrigation bottle, 20, 240 mLs, with mm-hmm. distribution 120 between the sides. And then again, we held the cadaver for 60 seconds in the position after the irrigation. And then we look for endoscopic evaluation, and we use the regular scopes, 
the 0 and 30 degree scopes looking into the nasal cavity, but to look into the residual of the dye and distribution of the dye into maxillary and frontal sinus, we actually looked through the scope, through the trephination. So through the maxillary kinite trephination and frontal sinus trephination. So the scale was, as I already alluded, zero meant absent, and that one was minimal, which pretty much you see some trace on the dye of the part of the mucosa. Then two was a moderate, and that means that on most the dye was clearly on most or all mucosa, and then three was a heavy stain of the mucosa or pulling of the dye. Right. So to to make this a little bit so obviously this sounds like a very subjective and you have a lot of room for interpretation yeah <laughs> because it's it's not really i mean it's minimal moderate heavy so it's yeah. like how you exactly quantify that this is not nuclear marking when you can actually exactly precisely say that that was the amount here or that was the amount yeah. so we did not have that so it was really the evaluation of the so but but we had three fellowship trained rhinologists who independently look at the videos so we recorded the videos we prior to sending to between three of us it was myself Dr. Elizabeth Ferenc here at USC and Dr. Ed Kwan at UCI and uh, we were blinded to, yeah. to the site and uh, we were blinded to type of a procedure what was it procedure up? was done yeah so so we yeah. did not we did not though so so that's to some degree provided a little bit of the objectivity into this but certainly this is quite sort of in the eye of the beholder how yeah. how you yeah. how you evaluate this yeah was there interrater reliability meaning yes yes so we look into this and and it was it was actually very good okay. uh so we were we were quite satisfied with that that the results are the results were consistent it's a very, so I think it's... We, we had 0.85, which is, you know, anything greater than 0.7 is acceptable. Your interrelator reliability was yes. 0.85, so yeah. really good correlation between the blinded evaluators, yeah. which yeah. is an important, I would think, in this. And I think that's a very, very, you know, reasonable design. And, and we should also mention that your study was not in any way sponsored by a company that manufactures balloons. No. There's no uh, financial disclosures to, to make here for potential conflicts for your study That's with regard correct. to the balloon companies anyway. There are some other conflicts, potential conflicts that are delineated in the manuscript itself, but none of them, as I recall, are related to companies that manufacture balloons. No, we had no financial interest with, with balloon companies. And again, I mean, if if we might say one company sponsored the course, but it was just for endoscopy and, and instruments. Okay. No, no so the... The he- the cadaver heads are interesting because you're right they they have no disease in them so that's an important factor to consider here so no edema swelling there isn't a chance for scar tissue to occur I guess what I'm thinking of in the real world when we do these procedures what we're interested in is being able to deliver this irrigant reliably consistently months and years after the surgery has healed 
And in this case, we're measuring something that occurs in the cadaver lab sort of in real time. So it's hard to know when you dilate something, for instance, with a balloon, it's hard to know how much of that might retract, for instance. And it's hard to know with a endoscopic sinus surgery procedure how much scarring that there might be in, in the area. So either way, it can be difficult to extrapolate these results to a real-world uh, situation for those reasons. Fair, fair? Yes, that's fair, but I think there is also possibility, and, and the study, there was a study done in, I think it was in 2010, published in Laryngoscope. Eric Weitzel was one of the authors on the study. When they actually look at the size of the ostium yeah. on the cadavers, and I think that gives a little bit more, and they, they, they made a conclusion that if you have more than 4.7 millimeters, yeah. openings that uh, penetration is, is more effective. It's superior, so yeah. So suddenly we have, there is possibility to measure the ostium and maybe the next stage or whoever decides to do that stage two of the, of the study that maybe that should be considered to really measure exactly what was achieved with the balloon and what was achieved with the uh, precise dissection in the frontal recess. Right. And in your study, you found, really, with regard to the frontal sinus, no difference between these two procedures, these two groups of cadaver heads, with regard to frontal sinus penetration. That's correct. We found the difference in the maxillary sinus, mm -hmm. that with the balloon, the endoscopic dissection, which would include also ancinectomy and um, maxillary antrostomy, the penetration was better, superior versus a balloon dilation right. of the maxillary ostium. Right. But in the frontal, we actually had very comparable very results. Yeah. Uh, I wondered a little bit about the potential that the trephination that you used in the frontal, in the anterior table of the frontal sinus, I wondered if that could impact the results as well. I was at this little like community fair a couple of weekends ago and they had those big five gallon jugs of water that dispense water for people and you had to poke a hole in the top of the jug so that when you release the water from the bottom of the jug it would allow air into you know and let the water come out if you know what I'm talking about I hope I yeah, explained that. Yes, I think the ceiling of the of the entry yeah, so it you, you affected that in this case, and it made me yeah. wonder, when you irrigate, does that allow the air, the air in the sinus has to go somewhere, as yeah. is displaced, and it made me wonder, in a case like this, it, let's say the balloon generated a smaller opening than the endoscopic sinus surgery, let's just for the sake of argument, let's just say the opening was larger in endoscopic sinus surgery, cadaver heads. It's possible that the irrigant in, Almost like in a live patient, in. it could not displace that air because the opening is smaller, and therefore it would have a more difficult time making it into the frontal sinus, the irrigant, whereas when you have the porthole of the trephination, it allows the air out of the sinus and it allows irrigant to go in through a smaller opening than it might otherwise 
go into. Does that does that criticism make sense to you? Did you think about that at all? Yeah, we did think about this, although we felt like uh, the seal around the opening was yeah. pretty good. I see. Uh, we did not use any extra sealant. So I you just I... used the scope through yeah, the a five millimeter opening. Very tight, very tight opening, which was yeah. part of the tissue. Soft tissue was also was also covering it, but but certainly there is possibility of either losing to some degree the vacuum or creating a new physiology and of the of the movement of the uh, of the air versus the fluid. Versus uh-huh, fluid. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. disrupting some aerodynamics of the right, of right. The, it's interesting. You know, you start picking these things apart, and you think to yourself, can the perfect study ever be done? You know, and you can always criticize methodology, and and that's. That's our obligation is to look at these studies and, and criticize the methodology and tr- attempt to translate these results to clinicians and patients. So speaking of that, what do you think this study tells the practicing rhinologist who's listening to the podcast? What do you think this study tells us in the end? I think in the end it tells us that there is probably a role for the balloon, it's mechanically, balloon opens the, the frontal recess. Yeah. Is this a sustained effect in the real patient? I think we can't draw this kind of a conclusion from the cadaver mm-hmm. study. Right. Additionally, we also, I think the sample size what we had, we had four cadavers, which made eight sites. I think this potentially may, perhaps if we, if we will have the bigger size, of the sample, perhaps we will see the difference more clearly, hmm. uh, or see the difference. I forget uh, what was the range. Was the range quite, you know, was the standard deviation and range were these quite large? Uh, uh, I'm forgetting from your paper. It was not huge. It was. I just want to give you the exact the exact. Yeah, I was number. just looking to see if I could find it. Yeah. Too. So the frontal, so for the balloon, uh, we for the frontal after the fest, uh, we had two point two zero eight, right. and for the balloon we have two zero four. Right. So right. it's not tremendous difference. Yeah, it's uh, not, and we don't know if that there's any clinical relevance to that, yeah, honestly, I mean, either. It's, it's, I mean, the, the, and and you don't actually do report. See, I mean, it's we do see the difference, clear difference between yeah. before anything was done yeah. and after the intervention. After, yeah. There is clear difference, but to make a conclusion that one or another technique is superior, I think on that for the for providing the access for the topical to frontal based on this study, I think it's really, it would be premature to make yeah, the, the clear. I, I agree. I, I think you're right about that. I think that, that. The, the size sample is, so I would not draw the conclusion that those techniques are equal. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, the sample size is an issue, but the, the bigger issue is we're talking about cadaver heads that, you know, do not have sinus disease and certainly physiologically, pathophysiologically do not have active sinus disease. 
and that's the patient population that we're really trying to treat. So it's it's tough to take a cadaver study and and really extrapolate that to the human condition, the living human condition. But it's certainly these studies I think are fascinating. I think your results are intriguing and I congratulate you and your co-authors for the, for the work that you've done here and for giving others ideas of how we might move forward with regard to studying this further. It's pretty clear that delivery of topical therapies, as you said, is just a cornerstone of management uh, of this disease in, in the current era. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me on the podcast today and to explain to our listeners the results of your, your study. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Scope It Out is a co-production of the International Forum of Allergy and Minology and Wiley. All opinions in this podcast are those of Dr. Smith and his guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or of the sponsors.